Have you been enjoying the diversity series? All right. Um, there are two groups of people. There's some people who are really into nation building and they really want to understand how to build a nation and they really believe they have a part to play. Then there are other people who come to church and they're from a religious mindset that kind of thinks, no, no, that stuff is, is a political message. That stuff is for politicians out there. God isn't interested in that, all right? But I want you to know that God has an interest in all of life. And I mentioned to you last week when I started this particular message, I said to you that look at Joseph. We admire him and we see how God used him greatly, but he was a reformer. Look at Daniel. Nothing negative is said about Daniel in scripture. He was a great guy. He's one of my favorites. That's why we named one of our boys Daniel, right? And what happened with him? He was a reformer in Babylon. And some of you can look and say like, oh, South Africa is like Babylon, or this country is like Babylon, or that country is like Babylon. But look how God used the Josephs, the Debras, the Esthers, the Daniels. And I believe that he's raising a generation of believers who will be reformers. Amen. And so we're going to go deep into this issue of a biblical view of land reform. If you weren't here last week, you can catch up. It's there. It's up on YouTube because I laid a foundation there. And I'm going to continue with point number three to today. Point number four, actually, today. Do you respect the right to own land with title? You see, right now, politicians, government people are making plans that are going to affect your destiny and they're going to affect your children and your children's children. And we don't want to be silent, silent as the church. We want to speak out concerning these issues and train up a people to know, well, what does the Bible say about these things? And although I'm using the case study of land reform, you can apply these biblical principles to BEE. You can apply these biblical principles to a business ownership, to uh, land ownership in general, property ownership. Amen. Okay. So number four is, do you respect the right to own land with title? Be very careful when people come to you and they say, oh yeah, we'll give you land, we'll give you land. Or other people come and they say, yeah, no, must just occupy land. If you see vacant land, there's one well-known politician who was saying that recently, right? If you see vacant land, guys, just go and occupy it. Do you know what happens to the human soul when you take something, but you're not quite sure whether legally it's okay for you to have it? Guilt. And you know what the guilty conscience does? I remember one particular guy he wrote about it recently as a farmer in Zimbabwe. He was a farmer. And his land was taken back in about, um, about 18 years ago, in 2000. And now finally the government in Zimbabwe said, cool, we'll compensate you for that particular land. So he wanted to see exactly what he was being compensated for because he felt there was nothing to go back to. And he took that journey and just drove back. And one of the things he said, he noticed, was the guilt that was there in the hearts and on the faces, he could see it, of the, the current people occupying that particular place. And this is where we have to be honest with ourselves and say, where am I at in terms of my conscience? Am I comfortable occupying something but not having title for it? How many of you know that the thing about having title, anyone here who's a landowner, you'll know what I'm talking about, but when you own something, there's a dignity about it, isn't there? 
You see, there's a strategy of the enemy in our nation right now where you see God has got an agenda where he wants us to be landowners. God has got an agenda where he wants us to own our own property, but he wants us to do it the right way. And the counterfeit of the enemy very often is people, politicians will promise you things they can't really give you and they'll take away that which they end up giving you. Because if they have the power to give you something, they've also got the power to take it. Are you hearing me this morning? Those of you who own your own home, you know what it's like. There was a difference between when you, when you purchased the place and when you were renting the place. You know what I'm talking about. And I believe it's God's agenda, but we must be careful of the counterfeit. Even the season we're in right now as a church, where I believe that we're just at the doorstep in terms of our breakthrough, in terms of having our own land. And very often what happens in the local church is a picture of what God wants to do in individuals' lives. How many of you are believing God for property right now? How many of you are believing God for land ownership right now? I'm telling you it's happening. I'm decreeing it right now. It is happening. It's a season for that in the spirit, but there will always be a counterfeit. Now here we have an interesting thing because if you look at Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23 to 28, I love God's word. This, this was back in, I mean, this was thousands of years ago. And look how the Old Testament lays out legal principles. Watch what it says. It says, the land moreover shall not be sold permanently. So there was the flexibility that there was. For the land is mine. Remember we spoke about stewardship last week. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Powerful revelation to have. God says, for the land is mine. For you are but aliens and surgeoners with me. Thus, for every piece of your property, catch this, you are to provide for the redemption of the land. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. That's a very powerful statement there. It says that if someone becomes so poor that they have to sell a part of their property, so they could actually subdivide land back in the day. How many of you know how difficult it is today to subdivide land? Right? There's an act. If you study the Land Act today, you'll see that there are certain principles around subdivision of land. What I love about Canada, I keep talking about Canada, but in their agricultural system, which I think is a good blueprint for other countries, Right? They actually have a subsection in their act, in their land act, where there's subdivision for relatives. How many of you have been in a situation where you've got family land and there's a bit of confusion? Who owns it? Is it the firstborn? Is it the secondborn? Who's going to inherit it? How many of you are in family situations right now where you literally think it would be so great if we could have subdivided it? Okay? And each family member gets title. Well, you could do that in the Old Testament. How many of you have been in a situation where you're sitting on land, but you don't want to sell all of it, you just want to sell part of it and make a bit of money? There's provision for this in scripture. And I believe that our legal processes in this nation, we've got a few lawyers here, need to be a bit faster. How many of you agree with me? The Bible speaks about the importance of resolving legal matters quickly. There's a bit of a problem if you're in a nation where people say, yeah, no, this court case is still pending. 
Oh no, it's being postponed. It's being postponed and postponed. The, pospos- the postponement was postponed again. And we see it happening in this nation, don't we? And we, we focus on, oh yeah, the former president, yeah, he's going through those postponing, 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 and so on. But it happens with many people. And people say, oh, the legal case is still pending. And the Bible addresses that issue, that resolve legal matters quickly. That was a biblical principle. So I believe if we're going to be a voice in this nation, we need to actually address the issue of subdivision of land. Can I hear an amen? amen. One of the reasons why there's an act that protects the land, as it were, in terms of this, is to just make sure that it's still used for agricultural purposes. Food security is so important in this nation. So you don't want a situation where all the agricultural land is now being subdivided, and then you've got developers, you know, building blocks of flats and that kind of thing, you know, high-rise buildings, etc. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons we have zoning, and it's important to protect the land so that we still have enough land to produce food. Amen. Okay? But if you look at that process of subdivision of land, you have to first apply for permission to the Ministry of Agriculture. You often have to speak to land surveyors. We've got land surveyors here, Mr. Mr. Manyumwa, one of the best in the nation, right? One of the best in the continent. Amen. Amen. Praise God, okay? You speak to your land surveyors. You have to sometimes speak to um, legal people, obviously, who take you through the whole process. Engineers who have to actually say, well, this part of your land can't actually be used for this, can only be used for that. It's a very long process. But in scripture, I love it. Thousands of years ago, it says, if a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor that he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative had sold. Now watch this. Or in, a ca- in case a man has no kinsman, there's some people with no relatives, right? Has no kinsman, but so recovers his means as to find sufficient for its redemption. Then he shall calculate the years since its sale and refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it and so return to his property. Can you see the dynamic that happens in scripture? You can sell something for a while just to have cash, but then you can still have a claim on it and say, you know what, maybe in 50 years time I can come back and get it. Watch this. Do you remember there was the Jubilee, the year of the Jubilee, right? Watch this. Watch how it goes. And says, and so return to his property. But if he has not found sufficient means to get it back for himself, in other words, they didn't just say, oh, he's a poor person, cool, he must just automatically get it back anytime he wants. He had to pay for it. There was dignity in paying for it. It says, but if he has found sufficient means to get it back for himself, then what he has sold shall remain in the hands. If he has not found, sorry, if he has not found sufficient means to get it back for himself, then what he has sold shall remain in the hands of its purchaser. Until when? Until the year of Jubilee. But at the Jubilee it shall revert that he may return to his property. Now remember in, in ancient, uh, ancient Israel, they had the year of the Jubilee after 50 years where people could actually find themselves being released of, from debt. So if someone owed you money in the year of the Jubilee, there was a place for you to actually say you're released from these debts. People were just set free that way, okay? People who once had land could take it back, but it didn't happen anytime, any place. Or when some politician says, just go and just take the land, because there's a place of lawlessness there. If you don't respect title in any nation, you will have problems, ladies and gentlemen. And one day you'll find that it will be your business that someone will feel like they can take and will not be based on the color of your skin. Are you hearing me this morning? Okay? 
There's a counterfeit that the enemy has. There's a counterfeit that the enemy has right now. Number five. It's my next question. Are you enlarging your territory and land with integrity? As you grow your business, are you growing it with integrity? As you grow your base in terms of farming, those of you who are farmers, are you doing it with integrity? As you hope that you get part of your neighbor's farm, are you doing it with integrity? In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14, very powerful. It addresses the issue of land reform, uh, but I want to highlight that a lot of times land grabs, I'm going to call them land grabs, are characterized by greed and covetousness. We saw it happening in Zim a lot. What's your heart like? And I'm speaking strongly on this because I know it's going to affect some of you. At a certain point where you're told, oh, you can actually get that land and so on. Are you full of greed and covetousness? Where's your heart at? Deuteronomy 19 verse 14 says, When you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession. How many of you know that God wants to bless you? He wants to enlarge your territory. And I'm speaking of land now symbolically, but God wants to enlarge your territory, right? It says, you must never steal anyone's land by moving the boundary markers your ancestors set up to make their property. You see, in ancient times, what people would do is they would con people concerning land. It even happens today. Whenever you purchase a property and they say to you, oh, it's 1,000 square meters, just go and get someone to measure. Go and get Mr. Manyunga to measure for you. Is it really 1,000 square meters? Okay, you have some cases where they'll say it's 1,000 square meters. But when you look, even just looking with the naked eye, you'll see that the boundary sort of like goes like this. I know one person had an issue with his neighbor because the, the, the wall, you know, when you can see it's not square. It's kind of like going like this. And then you measure it and you see it's actually only 900 square meters. Am I right, Mr. Manuwa? Happens a lot. And some people do it intentionally. It's not just being careless. Okay. And we see this happening in this nation that we live in. Look at Micah chapter 2, verse 2. It says, when you want a piece of land, it's talking, about, it's talking about evil people and what they do. How many of you want a piece of land? You just you believe in God for a piece of land. I'm not talking about land, the land reform situation. You just you want a piece of land. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah? So you can feel free to raise your hand. <laughs> yes, I want some, Pastor. Right? Now watch this. Look at, look at what evil people do. It says, when you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, see, it's not just about land now. It's about the property on the land. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. I'm telling you right now, whenever we've seen, and I'm not talking about when people apply for it legally and then they get title. But whenever we've seen land grabs on this continent, have you noticed that there is often fraud and almost always violence? Almost always there's violence. The moment someone thinks they've got the power to just say to people, go for it now and just go and take whatever you want on the basis of your, of your skin color, my friends, there'll be violence because there'll be someone on that land who doesn't want you to come until you've got title and there's been a contract of sale. This didn't just start today. We have to learn from history. And it says here, when you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. That's what people are doing right now. 
There is the spirit of greed in this nation. We've seen it in the corruption. And the same people who are very corrupt are the same people who are now saying, we want that land and we'll give it to you. But they want it for themselves. If you know who's who in the zoo, you'll know that a lot of these politicians already have lots of land themselves. And people should actually be saying, why don't you share what you have? If you know the inside story and the things I can't say publicly here from the pulpit, but I can tell you right now, there are certain people who are saying, yeah, so we'll see how we'll do it, and they want votes. We'll see how we'll do it. But you know, I know people who know people who know people who will say, but this guy, he's actually got a nice, beautiful ranch next door to, you know, I won't go into the details, but you know what I'm trying to say. Let's see when they start sharing that, all right? Then he says, when you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his pro property. Now, what are you stealing? You're not just stealing his house. You're not just stealing his land. This is what you're really stealing. It says, stealing his family's inheritance. You see, when, if you steal from me, you are not just stealing from me. You're stealing from my children and my children's children. You see, usually things like cell phones aren't really passed on in inheritance, you know, because your kids are kind of like, you know what, I don't want a 2003 phone. You know those bricks we used to have in 99? <laughs> I remember when we had Varsity, my wife was one of the first ones to have like a cell phone, but it was, it was one of those heavy, you know, those, those ones we used to have back in the day, right? Where it's like a thing, you know, you, you, you're fortunate if you can fit into your handbag type of situation. But the point is this, the point is this, when it comes to inheritance, very often land is a key thing that is inherited. And God takes very seriously inheritance. Because one of the roles of parents is to lay up for the next generation what they have currently. Amen? I know many of you, when you work hard, you're thinking, yeah, I'm educating my kids so they can look after me. But the biblical pattern is that we want to set them up to win. I want things to be easier for my kids than it was for me. Amen? I want things to be easier for my children than it was for me. When, I, when we went to, to varsity, sometimes it was tight financially. My parents had to hustle, had to make a plan and so on. You know, it was a normal thing sometimes not having cash in, in my account. Right? So right now, we're making an effort that we're now putting aside money right now so that when our kids go to varsity, wherever they choose to go in the world, it's fine. We're not like scratching our heads, starting to think, okay, um, you know, um, air tickets. Are you hearing me? And as people on this continent, we have to think multi-generationally. We have to think in terms of the future. You know, that in, in China, they think in terms of centuries. They think in centuries. My sister-in-law, the sister who comes after, after Trace, um, Shaney, she used to be a professional golfer. She won one of the tournaments some years ago in China, right? I think it was China Women's Open or something like that. She won one of those tournaments. She came back from China and she said, Phew, Paul, you know, China is an interesting place. They think in centuries. You'll see this highway built up but hardly see any vehicles on it. Because they're planning and they know that, you know what, we need this highway because we're gonna, there's going to be a lot of traffic here. The mindset the Chinese have, and you'll see where I'm going with this, the mindset the Chinese have is that, you know what, in the next 80 years, we want this type of tradesman, we want this type of artisan. 
So we need to start building up academies today and igniting this passion in children because in 80 years we're going to need them. Are you hearing me? That's how they think. You know on the African continent how we tend to think and research has proven this? It's like you, it's, we think present and past. That's a bit of a problem if you want to be successful. Amen? So our mindset is, imagine you're sitting on the how train, and the how train is going to Santon, right? It's facing that way, but you're facing the other way. That's what we are like on the continent. And I can tell you right now, with all the rhetoric that is being spoken of around the land grab, etc. Now, there's a proper way to do it, and I'm going to outline that if I have time today, if not um, in a couple of weeks' time. But I can tell you right now, the people aren't thinking multi-generationally. They're not. Our politicians, simple as that. They're not thinking in terms of the next generation. They're not thinking in terms of long term. They're not thinking in terms of food security for the nation. If someone says, oh yeah, yeah, so, so we need to send people to agricultural college. So we must take the land right, right now, but we need to send people to agricultural college. You can't do it real time. If I get onto a plane, if I get onto a plane, I don't, want the, I don't want the pilot to say, yeah, you know what, it's on the job training. It's a new system we have. No, train first and then do. Are you hearing me? And we must be comfortable with things coming to us with time as opposed to right now. And we should have thought through this back in 94. Otherwise, you know who's going to suffer? Our children. It's the poorest of the poor who end up suffering in this nation because there's no food, there's famine. Just go and study what's happened in Zim. Part of the feedback we got, someone was telling me that they'd put out um, some of the messages I've done on diversity, they'd put them out on social media, and someone gave feedback basically saying, uh, how come we should have foreigners telling us these things? Well, firstly, I've lived in South Africa for 19 years of my life, so I know a bit about this country, right? And sometimes when it comes to learning, we become xenophobic as a nation. I only want to hear from a South African. My friends, if you've got a deadly disease, let's say you're dying of cancer, and I come and I say I've got the cure, and I'm from outer Mongolia, you won't worry the color of my skin, the slant of my eyes, whether I'm from outer Mongolia or not. You'll be like, I desperately need this because you've got the solution. Amen? So let's not be xenophobic in who we listen to. And some of the best people to listen to around land reform are actually the people from the country north of us because we've experienced it, we've seen it. Last 18 years, it hasn't worked how Zim did it. Let's not make the same mistake. Amen. All right. So um, we see in Scripture in Job chapter 24, it says evil people. What type of people? Evil people steal land by moving the boundary markers. What else do they steal? They steal livestock and put them in their own pastures. Can I just comment on livestock? Do you know that the only, the only type of, if you, if you look at the criminal or crime statistics in this nation, when livestock is stolen, the statistics, the stats for livestock are actually separated out from the normal crime statistics. And there's actually research that has been carried out that it's one of the underreported, one of the most underreported things that's happening. There's a lot of livestock, cows, sheep, goats that are being stolen. And what tends to happen on farms is they don't report it because they're not confident that the, the cops 
will actually do something about it. And when the cops actually do recover the livestock, cows, cattle, sheep, goats, etc., right? Very often they don't actually give feedback. That's what's happening right now in this nation. Go and study it. They don't actually give feedback to the people who were robbed. So we're seeing that right now it's not just about land. It's about the property on the land. And it's also the fact that a major aspect of crime today in rural areas is crime when we're talking about livestock. Now, if you've got a lot of cattle, right? It might not make that much difference if someone steals 10. But when you've only got 10 and someone steals two, it's a big thing. And it's an issue we need to address in our nation. Right now, it's happening in our rural areas. It's happening in our farmlands. Hosea chapter 5, verse 10 says, Judah's leaders, South Africa's leaders, Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. So people who defraud people of their land are used here in scripture as an example of bad leaders. Can you see that? Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. What does God say he will do? I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. My friends, be very careful about the wrath of God. Oh, Paul, we're now in the New Testament. God's wrath doesn't kick in in the New Testament. Eh, wrong answer. If you look at Jesus, Jesus says, Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. He says, Woe to specific cities. Do you know that those cities are in ruins today? That's New Testament. That word woe is actually a word of judgment. Right? Now, as intercessors, we pray for God's mercies in this nation. But we also see what the word of God states. That if we take land in a fraudulent manner, do you know that that land will spew you out generations later? And we've seen that pattern on the African continent. And it's important for us to study scripture concerning these things. Okay? Number six, do you have a system for land distribution and ownership? You see, the problem we faced in this region when it came to land reform, we didn't have a clear system. We said we were doing it, but there was no clear system. All right? In the book of Numbers, chapter 33, verse 53 to 54, they had a system. Watch this. It says, and you shall take possession of the land and live in it. For I have given the land to you to possess it. So God can bless you with land, right? You shall inherit the land by lot according to your families. So there seemed to be something here where land was given to families. Do you know that it's been found that about 85% of food production in the world, guess where it comes from? It's been produced by families. Sometimes we've got this thing that it's big business, you know, it's these big commercial organizations and so on that are feeding us. It's actually families. And I find it interesting that in scripture, the land was given to specific families. Isn't that amazing? I'll use the blueprint of Canada again. And I think I shared this with you last week, that 98% of the land, the farming land in Canada is owned by individual families and also run by them. If you look at South Africa right now, and you look at the percentages, a large portion of the land is owned by government. That's why I said to you last week, government should also practice what it preaches and start giving away some of the land that it's sitting on right now. Amen. Right? And it's also owned by big business. 
I think it's time that individual families begin to own land. There's lots of land, folks. There's lots of land. And you shall take possession of the land and live in it. Can you see the link? Not doing everything remote control. For I have given the land to you to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot, according to your families. To the larger, you shall give more inheritance. And to the smaller, you shall give less inheritance. Wherever the lot falls to anyone, that shall be his. Why do they do it by lot? Well, there was going to be a lot of arguing, arguing and complaining, wasn't there? Because this thing is very subjective. Who gets what? Who was more marginalized than who? You know what the sad thing is? They're going to be, the, the plan, if you look at what's happening in this nation, there are going to be a lot of people on the basis of color who will end up getting land, and then there are other people who won't get it, even though those are the people who are actually dispossessed. If there's going to be any kind of reform, there needs to actually be a study of who was actually dispossessed. If there's going to be any kind of reform, it can't be racialized. The moment it's racialized, you'll have someone whose father jumped the border from Mozambique, but had now got an ID today, and they'll be getting the largest farm in that area. Are you hearing me this morning, ladies and gentlemen? It's getting quiet in the room. I know I'm scratching where it's itching, so I'm just going to keep scratching. So my question to you is, who is controlling the implementation and ultimately benefiting? If you look at BEE and all the BEE practices that have been taking place, we want to level the playing field, yes. We want to give people opportunities, yes. But the fact is there were degrees of discrimination and marginalization. Some were affected more than others. Let's learn from other countries. Let's learn from other countries. I love what Peter Senke once said. He said, the problems we face today are the result of yesterday's solutions. What solutions have we brought about yesterday that are causing us problems today? How much institutionalized discrimination are we starting to see in the nation today? How many engineers do we have here? Right? We've got a few engineers. Nice to see. Right? If you look at the history of this nation, you'll notice that there are different associations right, and societies for engineers. And it's interesting how a lot of the racism was very structural. So you'd have certain engineering societies where people had to pay top dollar just to be part of that society. And then when you would try to do work for a particular organization, the procurement guys would say, you know what, um, we will only, are you part of this society? Oh, you're not. Okay, sorry, you can't get the job. We're looking for people who are part of this society. But you see, a lot of people couldn't afford being part of that society. And they were discriminated against. And it's not just for engineering, it's with, with other things. So when we look at this nation and we look at fairness and we look at equity, we need to look at it in a very subtle way because it's very subtle. And we need wisdom when we look at these things. Right now, there's a lot of institutionalized xenophobia in this nation and unless you're a foreigner very often you're not aware of it how many of you know what i'm talking about oh can i have a smart id oh no no no. yes i know that advert says you can come to the bank and have a smart id but no it's not yes i know you're on a permanent residence and you've been in the country for some time yes but let me see your id number oh no 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 sorry you still have to go to home affairs how many of you know what i'm talking about right 
It's only for local people. Oh, can I have this? Oh, this company wants to employ me because I'm the one who's been consulting for them and I've been running with this program for a long time so no one else can do it the way I do it and so on. Hey, sorry, according to our system, no. Yeah, you, know, you, need, to be a, you need to be a citizen. And someone will say, yeah, no, I am a citizen. No, you, know, you need to have become a citizen pre-94. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Be very careful, South Africa. Be very, very careful about institutionalized xenophobia. Xenophobia is not just when guys go and say, we don't want you foreigners, we don't want you foreigners, and then they burn up the guy's stall. That's the obvious type of xenophobia. But it's happening through and through in many other ways. Can I hear an amen? amen? And I've shared with you before that there's a blessing on a nation that welcomes foreigners and loves on foreigners. You see throughout scripture, it talks about what we should do for the widow, for the orphan, and the alien. What's an alien? Someone who's from another country. If you're running a business, how many of you are business owners here? Just raise your hand. If you're running a business right now, be very careful how you treat widows, orphans, and aliens. When I say alien, I'm talking about foreigners. <laughs> okay. Someone will come to me after and say, yeah, pastor, because I spotted an alien the other day. So how do I treat them? Because yeah, I'm afraid of aliens, pastor. <laughs> All right. Farming is very expensive, and key questions the government needs to be asking, instead of just blurting out all sorts of things, they need to change the narrative and start talking about things like, okay, if someone gets land, are they obligated to do something with it? Or can they just sit on the land and say, hey, how many hectares did you get? I got 20,000, and you? Hey, I got 22, my brother. And they're sitting fat, living in Santon, nice jobs, but they've got land, but they're just sitting on it. Do you know that if you, if you study land reform and why it's failed, because it has failed so far, in the last 22 years or so, 24 years, how long has it been? 24 years? It has failed. And they're actually doing studies to say, why are some of these farms lying derelict today? I'll tell you why they're lying derelict today. They're not being used because there was no accountability there was no stewardship mindset to say, if you're on this land, you must produce. You know that, that they, did, they did that in the States? How many of you watched Jamestown? How many of you watched Jamestown, the series? We were enjoying it, then it's paused for some time. You know when series stop, and now you're waiting for it to start again. Okay? It's about the first settlers in the United States, guys who came from Europe, and they settled there and so on. And the way they rewarded the people who were producing and farming well, was phenomenal. And they would actually assess, okay, cool, yeah, we can, we can give you another plot to use. There must be accountability. There's some good success stories in this nation, but there are also a lot of sad stories. I'll just, I'll just leave it there. There are also a lot of sad stories, okay? If you give me land, are you obligated to also give me startup capital to fund my operations? If I don't have title, how can I then go and borrow from the bank without title? There's no collateral. What do I do? So those people who are promising people land probably need to also be promising those very same people the startup capital and ways and means to be productive on the land. Amen? And we need to be asking those types of questions today. Number seven. Do you have an abundance mindset or do you have a scarcity mindset? 
Okay? Do you believe that there is enough for all of us? And are you willing to share if you do have some land? Let's look at the life of Abraham. Remember I've said to you that South Africa is massive, isn't it? The country of Israel is 59 times smaller than South Africa. Imagine that. And a large portion of it is desert. Yet they're well known for their flowers. Yet they're well known for producing 40 different types of fruit. And their GDP is bigger than ours. If you look at all these nations, I said to you last week that if you take South Africa, right? South Africa, in terms of land size, is a combo of Italy, Germany, Belgium, Holland, and France. It's bigger than those countries combined. And yet look at the GDP of those nations. If you look at the UK, we're five times bigger than the UK, yet our population is 10 million less. There's 65 million, we're on about 55 million. Okay, And all these countries I mentioned, look at Germany. Germany is on 88 million, yet it's tiny compared to us. So when Hitler was doing his Lebensraum thing, you know, living space and so on, right? It was still way smaller than South Africa. If you look at the tax contribution of these nations, some of these nations is what, 65%, 70%, they're contributing to the GDP of these nations. But when you look at us, it's tiny, isn't it? And I believe God is taking us to a place as a nation where each person gets bumped up. But it has to be done systematically. It has to be done legally. It has to be done properly. Abundance mindset says everyone can win. It's a bit like Oprah. Everyone gets a book. You know, that, you know there's certain words that kicked into the dictionary in about 2016? Did I tell you guys that? There was a time when my kids came to me, and I know it was 2016. I'll explain why. And they said, you know, Dad, Dad, can you teach us some new words, please, so that we can show off to our friends that we've got all these new words. And I said, okay. Then I Googled new entries to the 2016 dictionary. That's how I know it was in 2016, right? And um, in my research, I came across words like Trump-like. Okay, so if you like Donald Trump, Trump-like. And another one I came up with was Opresk. If you're like Oprah. That's having a powerful brand, isn't it? All right? And then one time I was doing a workshop for some guys at one of the banks, and I gave out a few freebies of some of my books, and I said, hey, that's very oppressive of me. And one lady corrected me. I remember it was a group of IT people, and she said, no, Paul, you weren't being like Oprah. If you had been like Oprah, everyone would have received something. <laughs> okay? <laughs> anyway, there's an abundance mindset where everyone gets to win. Everyone gets to win. Genesis chapter 13, verse 1 to 18, it says, So Abram went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. How I many of you have lots in your life? Those guys who just tag along. And sometimes they slow you down. You know in the book of Hebrews where it says, Get rid of every sin and every weight that so easily entangles you. Sometimes that weight that entangles us is certain people. Yeah. Ah, no, but he's my cousin brother. Yeah, but he's, it's weight. It's dragging you down. Anyway, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, 
who was moving about with Abram. It's like Lot hasn't got his own personal brand. Have you know that? It was like this, this guy was moving around with Abram. Anyway, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Verse 7, and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. That's happening in this nation right now, quarreling. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. Now look at Abram's mindset. People say, oh yeah, Father Abram, Abram is our father, father of faith. This is what faith does, ladies and gentlemen. It says, so Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me. South Africa, let's not quarrel between the different ethnic groups, right? Or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? South Africa has to catch on to this. Is not the whole land before you? Let's not quarrel. Let's not argue. Let's not fight. Where you then have a mass exodus of people leaving your country, people who are experienced, who can mentor many other people in terms of the use of land. Let's not fight. We need each other. There's a reason why we are all here in this nation. We need each other. Is not the whole land before you. It doesn't have to be a land grab, ladies and gentlemen. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Abraham's mindset wasn't, hey Lot, do you know that God actually called me? Hey Lot, do you know that I'm the guy who interceded for you? If I hadn't interceded for you, you would have burnt up there in Sodom and Gomorrah. If it wasn't for me, dude. So I have first dibs on the land I want to choose. His mindset was a mindset of faith, and that's what faith does. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around. This is Lot's mindset. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zohar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Isn't it amazing the promises of God that the guys then get this land and it doesn't matter, even if part of it is a bit of desert and so on, look at what it produces. I said to you last time, Israel is number one when it, in the world when it comes to amount of milk produced per beast, per cow. How do you explain that? You cannot explain it naturally. I would rather have God bless me with stuff than try to seize stuff that has not been mandated, validated, and blessed by God. That's the place of prosperity. Don't just grab a tender and you know you got it by dubious means because you will toil and that thing will haunt you the rest of your life. 
Rather receive from heaven what God is giving you. Every single time, without fail, when a client says to me, you know what, we don't want to use you anymore. And they use, yeah, interesting means where you can't explain it. Where you, no, literally, where you can't explain it. I, I was going to go into the details, but I shouldn't because this is public and so on. Where you can't explain it. Where people are blown away by the type of coach you are and what you're doing with executives. And then one organization is like, yeah, no. I remember with one company, one of the banks, some years ago, they actually came to me and they said, do you know that on the database, 80% of the people who are being coached in this particular organization, it was like the head office of the particular bank, 80% have been coached by you. And so now the executives were concerned about it because of the favor on my life. They were like, can't this be shared? Can't, they, can't other people be coached and so on? So instead of actually speaking to me and saying, Paul, why do people want to be coached by you? And learn one or two things, which, which is what they should have done. Amen? Right? Somehow the business sort of just fizzled out, stopped. I remember someone was heading up a particular area, then contacted me and said, I want round two of coaching with you. Round two. She had been through a number of phases with me. I want some more coaching. And I said, cool, let's make it happen. Then she came to me after, she spoke to me after a couple of weeks and said, sorry, I was advised to maybe use someone else. Now that kind of thing happens, doesn't it? Every single time that has happened in my life, almost immediately another door opens. Amen? Literally, almost immediately. Why? God is my source. He uses all these people as conduits. So if one conduit stops, he'll just use another. And the other is always better. The Bible says that he takes away the first to establish the second. The second is always better than the first. Why? It's the principle of kingdom increase. When you're in the kingdom of God, things are always getting better. New Testament is better than Old Testament. Amen? So we see some interesting things here. We see that Abraham had a, an abundance mindset when it came to the land, right? Then it goes on to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. So you can see that the Sodom and Gomorrah thing actually happened afterwards, okay? Actually took place afterwards. The, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, look around and notice it was after Lot had, had parted from him. For some of you, you're in partnerships where God's hand is on your life, but not on the other person's life. So you're unequally yoked. This is for someone here. You're unequally yoked. God only spoke to Abraham after Lot had parted from him. For some of you, you need to be by yourself to experience the elevation and acceleration that God wants to grant you. Are you hearing me? It won't happen when you're unequally yoked. And it says, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. Verse 15, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Someone should be receiving this for themselves right now. I'm speaking prophetically. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Verse 17, go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron. 
where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, it only happened after, Lord, after Lot had parted from him. Who needs to part from you in order for you to go to your next level? Some of you have had certain things spoken to you by God way back when you were by yourself. You've now linked up with a whole lot of people and God has pressed pause on that blessing. Because the blessing is for you. It's not for the crowd. It's not for the lots who are hanging on to you. Amen? Let those who have ears hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So here are some sub-questions for you. Do you see God as your source? Would you rather get what seems to be less than quarrel with others? I'm always giving away stuff. I'm always giving away, oh, business opportunity. You know what, I'm not really into that, or I don't have the energy for it. Guys, use so-and-so. I'm not, I'm not available that day. It's fine, use so-and-so. Let's have an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality when it comes to increase. Do you want to grab for yourself or do you want to receive from God? Do you believe that God can prosper you wherever you are? Abraham had that type of faith. Hey, Lot, you know, you go choose what you want. I know God will bless me. Are you now going to fight over? Yeah, but no, but this one is close to the river. Ah, no, 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 but this one, you might be sitting on a gold mine. You might be sitting on a gold mine. doesn't look like a gold mine, but you're sitting on a gold mine. Do you want something that will last forever instead of something that looks nice now but will soon be destroyed? Here's the principle. Empowering yourself should not result in the disempowerment of other people. Some people have this notion where they think that power is zero-based. Power is not zero-based. You know what I mean by zero-based? It's this mindset that thinks, let's say I've got 10 units of power, right? And Tumi over there has got zero units of power. If I believe that power is zero-based, my mindset will be, okay, um, okay, let me just give her two units of power. Hey, but I'm down to eight now, and she's up to two. Let me give her another two. <gasps> Guys, she's up to four, and I'm down to six. <gasps> if I give her any more, we'll be equal. Power doesn't work like that. There's what's called the reciprocal nature of power, where I can give away power to empower her, to empower me, to empower her. And the more I give away, the more we both end up having. That's the principle of kingdom finance. That's what my wife was talking about earlier on. You have more because you give away more. Because when you give away more, there's more room for more. Amen? And when we're people of the kingdom, we have to think that way. And I see lots of Christians, even Christians who tithe, even Christians who you know, do certain things and so on, but they don't have that mindset. So they tithe systematically, but they don't carry and walk in a spirit of generosity. You might not end up wanting what you get. The thing you end up getting might become a snare to you. Proverbs 10 verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. In the NLT it says, The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow to it. You know how God wants to prosper you? You know how God wants to prosper me? There'll be no sorrow added to it. 
If you now are hungry and greedy for wealth, but it's splitting your family apart, there's a problem there. When God opens doors for you, you must say, this door, is it of God? Can it really be of God if I'm not going to see my family for months on end? I speak to many people who, whose marriages failed. And I remember I would speak to some of them and I would say, at what point did that take place? And you'll hear someone saying, no, it was when I was traveling up into Africa. Then I would say to them, how long were you away? As long as you only know when you ask people more than two questions deep, how, uh, how long it was that they were away. And you'll hear people saying, no, it was three months at a time. No, Paul, first of all, it was like once a week I would go away, then I would come back. But hey, the cost of travel, you know, traveling into Africa nowadays, yeah. Then it was two weeks at a time. Then it was five weeks at a time. Yeah, um, but be very careful. Be very careful. And for some of you, these are tests, eh? These are tests where God is saying, are you, is your life going to be controlled by mammon? Powerful testament. I don't know if Tendai and Q are here. Are they here today? A lot of people aren't here today. There's Tendai. Okay, he represents them both, right? Huh? They shared with me a powerful testimony where um, Q wanted a certain role, very significant role. She's a chartered accountant and so on, right? But she was offered a particular role, but it would mean that she would be hundreds of Ks away from her family if she took on that role. It was going to be somewhere like Bloemfontein, one of those places, right? She was going to be many Ks away. But it was a, it's a lucrative thing, I, I imagine, and it's an opportunity career-wise. So the temptation is there. But they were like, God, we've prayed for this thing. And God, if it's you, we can't be away from our kids. And we start seeing the impact. You know, with kids, it's immediate impact. And they said, God, we'll, you're our source. We trust you. So she rejected it. She rejected it. Then they phoned her back and they said, okay, no, we're now going to offer you something close to home. And they, they still offered her. Now, how many of you know that many times it's not, the offer is not going to come from the same person? Many times the offer will come from elsewhere. And many times there'll be a bit of a pause before the offer comes. And God is testing you. Do you see me as your source? Or do you see that opportunity as your source? Please don't feel guilty. I'm not trying to nail anyone. Sometimes there are short-term things that happen once in a while. But we need to believe God, amen? Need to believe God. My wife has a master's in pharmacy. And I remember there was a stage in our lives, she had a wonderful contract, or I don't know if I'll call it wonderful, but with a particular organization, she was doing various things. It wasn't just normal pharmacy and so on, and she was doing it for them. But at a certain point, she got to a place where the grace lifted. The scripture here says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. When the sorrow is coming, you now know that, ah, this isn't God. And more breakthrough came to our business when she decided, you know what, I'm not going to try and take matters in my own hands. This thing isn't working. And she pressed pause. Or she, she stopped that particular thing. Are you hearing me today? When we had to make the decision to move from four ways to here, a lot of people don't realize in 2010 to start this church, a lot of people don't realize that it was a bit of a sacrifice. Because in Joburg, that's where we had lots of clout. We knew so many people, clients of mine, people in churches we had planted before and that kind of thing. All right? 
And now we were coming to Centurion where we hardly knew anyone. But we made the decision. We knew it was God. And I remember we'd have discussions with my wife. Shouldn't we focus on growing the business first so that we're not dependent on the church? We didn't want to be. We're still not dependent on the church. Shouldn't we focus on that first? But the scripture that came to us was Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And the breakthrough, the major breakthrough, it was doing fine, major breakthrough in my business only came when this church started. In 2010. Are you hearing me? The trajectory went like this. Like this. Only in 2010. Sometimes God wants us to step out in his will and then the blessing follows. Instead of, Lord, guarantee me the blessing first. And then once I see it, then I'll step out. That's not faith. The Bible tells us that anything that is not from faith is sin. What's God saying to you in your life right now? How does he want you to move? What decisions are you to make? Question, are you making them from a place of faith? Or are you operating by sight? So that's point number eight that I'm going to share with you. Are you placing the kingdom first? Look at this. This is so powerful. Let me ask you a question. Are you able and willing to walk away from your business? Or are you too attached to it? Some of you are too attached to your businesses. Some of you are too attached to your professions. Some of you are too attached to certain things so you can't walk away from them. In Mark chapter 10, verse 29 to 30, I love this. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house. We left a house that we owned in four ways. And when we first came to Centurion, we were renting here, right? Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children. What's the next one? Or what? Or farms. There's certain people right now where they have to hear from heaven because God is actually also saying to them, leave your farm. But there's some people who are too attached where they could have sold their farm, earned lots of money even right now, but they're too attached. And then after a few years with the land grabs and so on, they'll lose it. That's what sometimes happens. I'm just being honest. Don't be too attached to things. But look, are you willing to leave these things for the sake of the kingdom? It goes on to say, for my sake and the gospel's sake. But that he will receive, not in heaven, a hundred times as much now. A hundred times in terms of farmland. In terms of mothers, brothers. <laughs> hundred times. A hundred times as much now in the present age. God wants to bless you now. Don't be the kind of Christians who say, I know, we'll just wait until we're in heaven. You see, the, the gospel is not just pie in the sky when you die. The gospel is also steak on your plate while you wait. Amen? Now, there's some people who take that to the extreme and so on, like, oh, now, now, but they're just impatient. They've got no fruit of the Spirit. But Jesus here says, if you leave certain things for the gospel... You know what, guys? 
you will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses. I'm believing God for property. Not just for my family, but also for the church. Houses. And brothers. Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? These that do the will of the Father. So you will have fellowship. Brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. Along with persecutions. Okay, we'll just say that quickly. Along with persecutions. And then also in the age to come, eternal life. Isn't the gospel wonderful, guys? So do you want a farm? How closely will you hold it and keep it? Are you willing to let it go for the gospel? Are you willing to share it with others? Are you willing to truly empower your workers that understand farming? Say to the person next to you, God really wants to bless you. And then say to them, but you have to do it his way. And herein endeth the eulogy, the homily, the sermon. In record time, 10 past 11. Let's pray. I'll leave the rest for next week. No, for two weeks time.